Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. Today's episode is about creativity, carving your own path, and the founder of Squid Bikes and professional cyclocross racer, Emily Kachorik. It was just to kind of go out there and put our ideas into the world and see what happens. And if nothing happens, great. At the very least, we would have put our ideas into the universe. You know, it turns out it has connected with people. That was Emily. And I first found Emily on Instagram because I was just scrolling through the Explore tab. And then I found this awesome person with fun energy and the coolest decal designs on their bikes, or as a Canadian would say, decals. Yeah, my husband and I joke a lot about Canadian versus American pronunciation. And I say decal, Canadians say decal. So in case you're ever in Canada and you need to speak the language, say decal. But Emily has the most fun designs on her Squid bikes. The brand is called Squid. And they actually spray paint all of their bikes. Spray paint. And they get to come up with all these fun designs and customize each bike so that you can really let your personality flag fly high on the bike. I actually met Emily two years ago in a parking lot in Sacramento because I was in Lodi, California, visiting Michael David Winery, who was just a, a guest on last week's show. But I was just jumping in a cyclocross race for fun, and lo and behold, there was Emily, and she was super friendly and really fun, so it was really neat to meet her in person. And lately, she's been riding a bike with orange creamsicles on it, so check that out on her Instagram, ee Kachorik. This is a great episode because it's not only about how she started her personal brand and company, and that's a really inspiring and creative story, but it's about her traveling in China and her experiences racing there and some other fun stories. And a great thing about today's show is that I have a co-host. That's right. Brian Kennedy, BKXC, if you're a YouTuber and love following him on there. He's also been a previous guest on the show, and it was really fun to incorporate him and have him ask Emily some questions as well. So I hope you guys enjoy the show. I felt more inspired to be creative once I was done, and hopefully you do too. A quick thank you to those of you who are supporting the show on Patreon. Patreon is a crowdfunding website for projects, and in this case, my project is the podcast. So every single dollar, even $4 a month helps, will support this free show. It helps pay for audio production. It helps pay for hosting costs. It helps pay for a lot of different things that go into making a podcast. So big thank you to those of you who are giving back. I sincerely appreciate it. So now let's get into it. Here is Emily Kachorek hosted by myself and Brian Kennedy. Well, we're here today with two awesome people. My co-host, Brian Kennedy, BKXC on YouTube, if you guys subscribe to his channel, and you should. Hello, hello. Glad to be here. And Emily Kachorek. Am I saying your last name right? You are. Yes. <laughs> Good work. From Squid Bikes and also a professional cyclocross racer. And... You were in China earlier this year. Yes, I was. And uh, actually heading to Japan in like two weeks, too. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I'm heading back over to Asia. I like it over there. Yeah, like you don't often hear about the cyclocross scene over in Asia. It's not big. So this was my third year going over there. The name of the races are the Kwansen. I'm not even totally sure I'm pronouncing that right. The Kwansen Trophy Cup. And uh, this was the sixth year, I think they've done it. And it's just outside of Beijing and it's two events. And to my knowledge, the three years I did it, there's not been a Chinese rider in any of the pro races. Wow. So it's pretty much an international field, but they have, I think, about between 20 and 30 like nationalities competing in the race. So a very like 
the race draws from all over the place. And they do that on purpose too. But sadly, there have not been any Chinese racers yet. They have amateur fields in the morning, but in the pro fields, there haven't been. The first thing I think about when I think of Beijing is smog. So how was it, the air quality, when you're actually out there racing? Yeah, you know what? The the first couple years, I mean, it's noticeable, but it hadn't been that big of a deal. And then, uh, and you see people with the masks on and stuff like that. And I can kind of feel it after I get back. You can feel it like in your lungs a little bit. And this year I got there and it was like, oh, wow. <laughs> uh, like just, I mean, visibly like hard to see. And I was actually kind of worried about it because just I have a little bit of like exercise induced asthma and, and definitely smog definitely makes it worse. And going on like the spins the first couple of days, I was like, this is going to be brutal. And the days that we raced, it was actually fine. The weirdest oh, wow. thing is, is like some days you can barely see the building across the street and other days it's like it's bright blue skies and it's totally different. Oh. Yeah, we had the fires here in Northern California. I live in Vallejo and the fires yep. were in Napa and stuff. And that was utterly ridiculous how smoky it was. And I was out, you know, out in the front yard raking leaves and my aunt had come by to pick me up to go to lunch. And she's like, no physical activity. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and I get in the car after and it's like, oh, Jesus, yeah. I can feel it. And that's just from raking leaves. Yeah, yeah. So the particulates there, I don't know what they're mostly from. <laughs> but it is like it's really weird because one day it's fine and the next day it's it's not. So we got lucky. Race days were actually pretty good. Cool. Yeah. So how did it get on your radar to go there? So those races, I had a actually a, a acquaintance really at that point, um, just a fellow NorCal racer that I knew but wasn't really good friends with them. And again, this is three years ago, and I knew of the races that they were going on, and like kind of once a year they had looked for people and then they took really good care of the riders. I mean, I love traveling and was like, oh man, I, I missed an opportunity there. So anyway, this first year, three years ago, I see this post from one of my acquaintances like, hey, my buddy dropped out that was supposed to go to China. Anyone want to go to China in two weeks? Nice. I was like, yeah, <laughs> like, yes, please. Like totally down for an adventure. And so he had kind of already submitted the paperwork and had an extra spot. So I got really lucky. He was able to like jump on that. I rushed a visa. And Whoa. went over there and was like, this is, I mean, just awesome. It's a really cool experience. They take, I mean, really after three years, I've gotten to the point where I'm like, this is one of the best races I've ever been to my entire life. And I'm including road and all the professional road racing I've done in Europe and all other countries. Like they take such good care of you. And it's just always incredibly well run and the courses are good. They're open to feedback. Like they really want to make it bigger and better every single year. And from the second you step off the plane, they take care of you and treat you like royalty. And they have like all these big banquets, like welcoming banquets and like goodbye banquets. And, you know, they take you out on tours. It's really, really cool. So after the first year, and I was like, man, I got to keep getting on this because <laughs> it's sweet. <laughs> Communism and, at its best. Yeah. And if, you know, if you're on their radar and if they like you, they're, they really like having people coming back too. So cool. like they really value the riders that have come year after year. And they actually made at the awards, it's not really an awards banquet. It's like their goodbye banquet. 
And I think it was last year, they made a bronze statue out of one of the people that had been there for all of these. I, I shit you not, like straight up bronze statue out of him. And like he, it's not like he won or did anything. Like, That's amazing. It, it's really cool. Like they That's just, true. they're so stoked to be bringing cyclocross to China. And it's mostly a father and son. And the father was the one that I think originally had the idea for it. And the son is the one that's like really been putting in all the work. And he's a super nice guy and he's developed a really good team. And I think they, they rumors they want to bring cyclocross to the Olympics for that next Whoa. year that's in Beijing. Cool. Wow. So like I said, everything is amazingly well run. It's really, really cool. I don't know if you guys had a chance to kind of look through the photo essay that myself and a couple other people did. Um, it's on the SRAM website. But, you know, just from the the awards presentation from the podium, they have just a massive screen that's updating, you know, where people are in the races. The live streaming is impeccable. I mean, everything about it is great. So it's really, really cool. So how do you live a life where someone could post, hey, anybody want to go to China in two weeks? <laughs> and you're able to do it. I know. I'm pretty lucky. Uh, professional cyclist. <laughs> You know, it's the time of year when you're you're traveling a lot. So your schedule is pretty open. And I have my own business now, too. I'm one of the co-owners of Squid. So, you know, that time of year is is when I'm on the road and it's bike racing. So that's what I do. Yeah. And I think going back to China, something interesting to point out that maybe a lot of people don't know is it's not exactly like when you go to Europe or you go to South America, it's pretty easy to get around. But when you go to China and granted, I've only spent one night in Beijing, but nobody <laughs> spoke English. Like I didn't know anybody there. I just had an overnight layover. So it's like you have to get somebody to write down in Chinese or in Mandarin um, where you're going. And then you show the taxi driver this, these symbols where you're like, I have no idea what this says. And you get in the taxi and you hope that it gets you to where you're going. And and then you get the menu and the menu is just pictures of stuff and you're just kind of pointing. So the <laughs> cultural experience of being in China, because I've only been there one day, I'd love to hear more about that because it's really different than where we are. And the government's really different and the access, like people, people can't just get on Facebook. They can't access lots of websites. Totally. So culturally, it's just a very different place. Yeah. And that was one of the things that I was so intrigued by and was really excited about taking on that opportunity. And definitely... The way they have it set up, you they give you one day. Basically, they're like, this is when you're flying in. Arrive this day. And then they pick you up. They're literally there with a sign. Like, I've never stepped off the plane and not really had anyone there. They get a bunch of volunteers that I think are practicing their English. Usually, yeah. usually it's females, but there's some males too. And they're all, you know, excited to have you there. And, and you get on the bus and they take you to the... Usually you have a couple more people, you know, that are flying in that same time big, nice buses take you to your hotel. All of your meals are taken care of. Like they're all at the hotel with all of the other athletes and the venues are riding distance away. And they have buses for staff to get to the venues. And then we've switched to different hotels for the second race. And it's the same thing. They take total care of you. Again, there's all these banquets and then they put you on the bus back home. So in that regard, it's easy because you don't have to think about anything. You're still getting the cultural experience of having, you know, a lot of the traditional food. And when you're riding to and from the races, you're on, on the roads with everybody. So you got to figure yeah. out traffic and all that kind of stuff. So that part was super easy. You don't have to go out and find your own food and kind of wondering what you're eating and doing the pointing <laughs> and that kind of stuff. And 
I guess it was the first or second year. I don't remember. I was there. We decided to stay a little bit longer and yeah. you're totally right. Like the second you're out of <laughs> the their care, if you off. try to do anything, you're like, oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> and I've traveled, I've traveled a reasonable amount in Asia in other parts of Asia on my own before. And, uh, China's it's difficult. It's very difficult to travel. This year we started the Squid World tour in Australia actually this year. So we flew to Australia first and did their country's actually first ever UCI races this year, which is really cool. And then we flew from Australia directly to China, which you know, I was like, oh, you're already on that side of the world. Like it's not that big of a no, travel day. And we're like, China. oh no. <laughs> like that was insane. So so anyway, so we get to China and we were supposed to get in I think at like midnight, but it was the midnight before the day that they were supposed to pick us up. So it was like, all right, we're on our own for like one night. Like this shouldn't be a big deal. I had booked a hotel. It was an airport hotel. Like this should be pretty easy. There's four of us. And (laughs) so we ended up getting in late because of, you know, the always missed flights and delays and whatever. So we ended up getting into Beijing at 5 a.m. We were supposed to get in it at midnight. We're all exhausted because we've been up since 4 a.m. and have been literally traveling the entire day. And call to try to like get the pickup because we have four, two giant bike bags with double bikes in it and like five extra sets of wheels and all of our shit because we're on the everywhere. road for a month. <laughs> yeah. And we're exhausted. And call the hotel number after going to the front desk and they just are yelling numbers at me and I'm like I don't know what you want me to do with that like that doesn't mean anything to me and no one can really help you and we eventually kind of figured out where we were supposed to stand on the curb and of course a bunch of people come and they try to get taxis and stuff and you're like no 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 and then eventually I'm like I'm not paying like that's going to be how I know who's the right person that's going to pick me up. Right. Is because they're not, they're going to agree to not take any money. (laughs) So eventually I figure we're on the right bus because the guy said he's not, you know, I don't need to pay him and we're driving around. And again, you have nowhere you're going. I have like some picture from the website, from the hotel that I booked and an address and we get in and there's two people just yelling at each other at the front desk when I get in. And again, this is 5am and we're just like, Oh my God, I'm so tired. I just want to go to bed. And my business partner pulls out like the thing. He's like, this totally isn't the same hotel that we booked. Like I'm looking at it. The characters are not the same. And I was like, I don't know what you want me to do. Yeah. This is where the guy took us. Like we're super tired. This Let's just see what happened. Yeah, not exactly. Amazing race. Ended up like he, we showed him the thing and he like, after they stopped yelling at each other, they gave us keys and we're like, I don't know. Let's just go try it out. <laughs> like we went in there and went as fell asleep and left the next day. So I guess it was fine. But it is definitely not easy to travel there on your own. Does data work on your phone? You can get a blocker. So you can get like a VPN blocker that essentially just like hides where your phone is is from. So you can get um, on all the websites. So if you turn on your phone, if you turn on your phone in China, it's just not gonna work. Like, can you make phone I, calls? What? I don't know. No, you you can, because I have called out, I think, from there, I believe, during that process, I think, when I was like, this is so messed up. Like, I just need to talk to someone on the phone. Yeah, because nowadays, but yeah. I mean, not, not having data, not having Google Maps, like, oh. Right, <laughs> right. you're on your own. So th- there is, like, we had Wi-Fi at the hotels we were at, and you can use that. And if you want to use some of like the social sites that are blocked with their firewall, you have to have the VPN blocker. Yes, yes. And they're apparently cracking down on that. 
but we've been able to use it. I've used it the past couple of years without any problems. Yeah. For, for those of you that don't know, you can't use a lot of American sites in China. They're all blocked and the VPN thing is it, yeah, it thinks that you're coming from here instead of coming right. from there. And it's like, right. okay, you're actually in America now. And it's super slow to use, but a lot of people in China use it, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what we did. And it worked great. And again, it's, you know, we took the public transportation out to explore a couple days and that was actually really easy to use and, and flawless. And the streets are really clean for riding around. The second year I was there, maybe it was the first year, first year I was there, our second race was on an island. So oh, we had a, cool. an entire transfer to an, one of the, the islands in China. And we ended up staying an extra couple days. It's like their version of Hawaii, I guess. And, you know, we're like, let's just chill out. And we got a hotel like right on the beach, four star hotel for like a hundred bucks a night, ocean view, hot tub on the, you know, on the balcony, <laughs> super nice. And my husband and I, we had two bikes. So we just like rode around the couple days we were there, just straight up, like, I don't know where this road's going. Let's just explore. <laughs> right. That's and great. went through like little markets and all we had was tubulars too, which obviously is not ideal for flatting because then you're pretty stuck especially in china where you can't like call a taxi easily or whatever too the roads are super clean and driving with all of the other cars they're just used to there being you know all forms of transportation on the road so they just give you space and like it was really cool it was really easy that's awesome yeah some of the food stuff and some of the other stuff's a little bit more difficult but you know in general i've really enjoyed spending time there it's been cool yeah, it's all part of the adventure for sure. <laughs> but yeah, you, so I want to kind of do your talk about your history. So you went to school, you have a master's degree in biology, right? Yep. Yeah. And then you were racing your road bike professionally. And you mentioned going to Europe, and then you made the switch to cyclocross. So kind of talk about that. Yeah, so I actually started racing when I was in college during my undergraduate degree for UC Davis and did that for, I don't know, I guess three years, three, four years. And then basically just like, wasn't really enjoying the racing anymore. I was kind of like, I loved collegiate racing. And as soon as I got out of college, I was like, Oh, this isn't as much fun anymore. Like, <laughs> you know, it wasn't the same. And I had a friend that was hit and killed and like, just kind of life transitions and was like, all right, I'm, I'm taking a little break from the bike right now. I still rode a little bit, but I stopped racing. And I had moved back down to San Diego where the incredible riding, if you want to go do big rides, but in terms of like little stuff, it's just a lot of cars and a lot of stoplights and stuff like that. So basically stopped riding and racing for a while. I moved back up to NorCal. I started a master's degree and was just commuting to and from school, which is like a couple miles each way. I ran into an old college friend that I raced with and kind of started riding because we have 40 miles of uninterrupted bike trail along the American river. That's amazing and has no cars. And I was like, Oh, this is, this is pretty awesome. And then, you know, obviously if you love riding, like it doesn't take that long to be like, Oh yeah, this is why I love this. This is why I fell in love with this in the first place. So I started riding again and then, you know, you get fit and then you're like, well, <laughs> I loved racing too. And actually started the collegiate cycling team at Sacramento State, which is where I was getting my master's degree because oh, cool. they didn't have a team. And I was like, this is silly. Like, there's so much awesome riding here. Collegiate cycling is awesome. So kind of basically got immersed back into it and jumped into a couple of races. And then I wasn't going to do any of the NRC stuff. I just was going to keep it local and just have fun with it. They were doing this Nature Valley Pro Ride thing 
I don't know if you guys have heard of that when they were, it was called, it was nature Valley. I don't even know what it is anymore. It's the big NRC that they've had in Minnesota for a really Mm -hmm. long time. And if you won one of these like six races across the U S they basically put you on this composite team that was like a pro team and it was all paid for. And you got to essentially be on a pro team for this race. So I got one of those spots and then it ended up having a couple good results at some NRCs and then got a contract and it kind of coincided with when I was finishing my master's degree. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, I'll do this for, I'll try this out and, and see where it goes. And, um, as long as I'm still having fun on, I'm gonna do it. So I did that for a couple of years, ended up racing in Europe a couple of times for two. I did a couple blocks over there for two years, uh, with the national team. I had a couple injuries during that time period, which is pretty common, obviously for road racing, I uh, broke the proximal head of my humerus. So yeah, like shattered it really bad, which was not awesome. And I was like super fit and feeling really good. And then, you know, you have an injury like that and you're like, I couldn't touch my handlebars for three months because it was like, yeah, you know, the ball part up here. And it was, they actually didn't operate on it because they're like, it's like a house of cards. Like if we open that up, like (laughs) you're going to end up having like straight up like a rod shoved in your arm with like a fake ball joint for the rest of your life. So I got lucky there, but it was like, you know, a pretty bad injury. And then just racing in Europe was, it's a whole different ball game over there for road. And it was definitely the next level. And I kind of got to the point where it was like, if I wanted to continue to progress in the sport, I felt like that's where I needed to spend more time. But, you know, I came back into it a little bit later. I think I started my pro career when I was 30, maybe. So I was like, I don't really know if I want to do this at this point in my life anymore. You know, like, I don't know if I want to risk the injuries and spending that much time away from my husband and, and everything else. I felt like I got a lot of what I wanted to get out of road cycling And the more time I put into it, it wasn't going to really be giving me that much more out of it, kind of. But I still loved the lifestyle and I still loved pushing myself. And I loved, you know, I loved training and exploring new places and all that kind of stuff. So my husband actually was like, well, why don't you try cyclocross? And I was like, I don't know. (laughs) Like, it's kind of just a dirt time trial. I'm not really that into that. (laughs) Um, Which, of course, now that I've done it for five years, I'm like, it's totally not that at all. But I didn't really understand the sport. And, um, I had the best contract offers I'd had and just decided to jump ship and try cross. So, you know, I had done a couple races, but not, not really. And, um, I just figured it was going to be a new skill set, and it was going to be something to work on and a new group of people to meet and new places to go bike racing and new experiences and turned on the contract and <laughs> started riding my bike in the dirt. You know, more time in the dirt, away from cars, yeah. more time mountain biking, all that kind of stuff. So I basically was like, not quite like a Band-Aid. I still went over and did some stuff with the national team the next year on the road, just because when you get the opportunity to go race the Tour of Flanders, you don't turn it down. <laughs> but yeah, just basically was, I'm going to try this now. And it's been a lot of learning since then. But really, really, I'm really glad I made the jump. I, I love cross. Yeah. And I think that the learning part is what makes it interesting because whenever it just gets like, you know, what to expect every single time and you know what to do, it takes away that element of decision-making. Like you're out there and especially when you're on the dirt, the terrain is really different and every course is different. Every type of weather condition is different. So you have to make a lot of different decisions while you're out there and it's never the same. And that's what I love about the dirt. 
But yeah, cyclocross is, is tough because you have to like be able to run your bike. For those of you who aren't familiar what it is, it's a course that's set up and there's all these obstacles on the course. So it involves riding and cornering and like getting off your bike and running through sand and going over barriers. And some people can jump their bike over these barriers. And not all of us look as cool as Emily. Like some of us, like me, trip and fall down on our faces in front of everybody. So that makes it fun. But cross is just such a fun environment. Like the energy, the people you feel. And you just don't get that in like road racing or mountain bike racing because it's not really a spectator sport. Yeah, yeah. And I totally didn't appreciate what I was getting into, which I think is good, right? Until you, yeah. I was just kind of had this appeal of like, I knew it was a little bit more low key in terms of, I like the team aspect of road racing a lot, but I, I've never trained with power meter. I've never used a Garmin. Like that's just not my vibe. Like literally like ever, just not what I do. And I don't, not super serious about a lot of that stuff. And that tends to fit more with the roadie vibe. And again, in terms of kind of learning what there was to learn, and by no means was I obviously the best. There's lots of people that were better than I was, and I knew I still had a lot that I could have learned. But I kind of felt like you, you know, you get fit, and then you learn the sport, and then you play your cards, and you kind of see what happens every time. And with cross, I feel like there's a lot more, you're in control of a lot more of how the race plays out. And again, you are making all these decisions every single time. And the more I've learned about cross, the more I realize there is to learn. It's like this like onion where like <laughs> every single year, I feel like I like peel off layers in terms of like, first, it's really just about like getting around the course. And some of the courses are really hard to get around and, you know, it's getting around it faster. And then it's like how to figure out what the good lines are and how do you actually race the other people on the course? How do you go from just racing the course to racing the other people? When do you burn your matches? Like, <laughs> I mean, layer after layer, how do you measure your efforts? All this kind of stuff. And it's been really cool. And again, one of the things with road is like you get fit and then you go play your cards and then you try to stay fit. You try not to get injured. You try not to get sick. And you do that stuff with cross too, but there's the whole other element of skill. And I really, really enjoy the skill-based stuff because that doesn't have a ceiling on it. Like your skills can just go up for your entire career and after your career. And, you know, the first, first year or two, I, I felt like I wasn't training enough. And I was like, oh, I'm not, I'm not that fit because I had this I knew what my roadie fitness was like. I was training sometimes 30 hours a week, like in the base. Wow. Like I, I used to ride my bike a lot and I was like, I'm not that fit. I'm like, but it doesn't matter. Cause if I go around the corner one second slower than the other person, it does not matter how fit I am. Cause I can make up that difference. So there's just so many other factors that come into play with cross that it's definitely kept my interest both uh, physically and kind of intellectually with the sport. It's funny because I actually do not know you at all from cyclocross. I only know you from squid bikes and the rattle can bikes and your design and just how beautiful everything is that everything you guys make is just amazing. So I don't know where I came across your stuff, (laughs) you know, on Instagram or something. I'm like, oh, my God, this is so cool. And everything you guys put out is just so amazing and interesting. So I want to know about this, about starting this business and doing the pro thing on this. You know, which one is the side business? Yeah. (laughs) We all have our pulled in different directions. Totally. So the switching from road to cross and starting squid kind of went hand in hand, I guess. So when I switched from road to cross, you know, the cross doesn't have a ton of money in it. It's not really as much of a team sport. So it wasn't like I had to have a team in order to do it. And then jumping straight from road to cross, I didn't have 
the connections or the results to really be able to take to a team to be like, hey, you know, support me versus support someone else. But I did have a, a good number of industry connections because I'd been racing on the road for a long time. And so it's like, time, all right. At this time, do you have a job or are you just a full time? I'm racer? just, yep. Pro and, and squid. So yeah. that's, yeah, devoting all my time to that. So when I made that jump, it was like, all right, well, I guess I'm just going to run my own, you know, do my own deal, which a lot of people do. And um, as soon as I really decided to take that on, it was like you're collecting, you know, all the different pieces of equipment and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, all right, well, I'm in charge of this now. And now I have to design my own kit. <laughs> and now I have to design my own bike. And there was things on the road that I felt like, there was kind of like marketing value and stuff that was just being overlooked, I think, by a lot of people. And as soon as I was really empowered to do that stuff by myself, I was like, well, nobody's in charge with me now. Like, I get to do this my own way. So, you know, I designed my own kit. I went into it being like, all right, nobody knows who I am. You know, I'm not going to go out there and beat Katie Compton, <laughs> you know, but I'm going to go out there and race as hard as I can. And, you know, for your sponsors, obviously, you you want the attention. You want people to know who you are on the yeah, course. They want, they, right, exactly. So I was like, all right, I'm going bright. I want people to be able to see me from across the course. I don't want to blend in. I want to come into the scene and, and kind of make my mark. So I put really bright kit together and I was kind of like overall the logos because you can't see them really that much anyway. And just had some of these ideas that I incorporated into that first year. And one of the things was I really wanted the full package to look good. So I wanted the bikes to kind of tie in with the kits and yeah. everything. And in doing that, I ended up taking one of my bikes and it was painted this like school bus yellow color and mm. I had this neon vibe going. And I was like, this isn't working for me. Like I got to do something about this. So I just went to the, like the hobby store down the street and got a bunch of just big sheets of vinyl like neon bright colored vinyl. And I enjoyed doing art stuff like my whole life. And in another world, I would have gone to school to for fine arts or something like that. And just like covered this entire bike with neon vinyl, essentially. <laughs> and, you know, it was one of those things that I loved it. So I was like, Oh, this is awesome. And I was like, Oh, my gosh, am I gonna be super embarrassed, like rolling to the start of the pro races with my like <laughs> vinyl covered bike and my super bright non logoed kit and everything and I was like you know what I don't really care it's bike racing whatever so that was kind of how I went into that first year and not only did I I had a partner I was partnering with Valet at the time and my kits were selling because people liked them yeah. which I was like oh this is cool this is like helping fund my racing and I could not walk anywhere with that bike without people literally turning their heads people were like what is that thing and you know, I had spray painted some bikes before and just seeing people's reaction, it kind of opened my eyes to the fact that like, you're right, like there isn't other people doing what I'm doing right now in terms of like this, you know, just really unique and different and fun and not serious aesthetic. And one of the things that I felt like with road that was always a little hard was every year, you know, at least for the most part with women's racing, like contracts turn over every year and you're, you don't have a lot of really good job security. You know, you get hurt, you get injured, whatever it is, you get sick, your team folds and you're kind of always just like, you could be left out to dry. And there wasn't a lot built up in terms of the athlete really having control over their own destiny in a way, and really being able to build their own brand. And, um, 
kind of was able to roll that into starting Squid being like, well, if I'm doing a good job and if I'm really marketing my partners and doing a good job with the people that I'm partnering with, like I should be able to reap the benefit of that. And again, with Road, it was like one year you're on this bike and this is an awesome bike. And then the next year on this bike and this is an awesome bike. And this year you're using this nutritional supplement and then next year this one's better. And it just kind of felt a little disingenuous to me. So when I was able to kind of take that stuff on my own and really like wrap that up into like really providing, I feel like good partnerships and unique ways of like working with companies, it all kind of built on itself. And that was also part of like building my own, own brand and own team. And with the idea that if I was doing it well, you know what I mean? I'd eventually be able to run my program through those partnerships and through actual value that I was like giving to companies that I was partnering with. Yeah. And being able to pick brands, like this is exactly what, what I did as well. Like I left a team and went on my own because I wanted to say that if I'm using this product, it's the product I believe in, not a product that somebody else told me to believe in. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So it's, I've learned a lot over the past couple of years and Squid kind of developed again, all of it was kind of tied in with this running the program initially. And then the actual starting of Squid, the inspiration was really, again, the fact that I could take this bike and literally couldn't go anywhere without people like being like, what is that? You know? (laughs) And then we're like, all right, well, let's just do our own thing and kind of see, you know, if this actually connects with people. And then again, being like, well, I'm actually getting stuff out of this, right? Like if the idea with professional cycling is that you're really marketing essentially, right? Like you're providing entertainment and inspiration and all this other kind of stuff that will be sustainable. Yep. So do you do the graphic design? So we have artists that we work with for the actual like artwork, artwork. And then pretty much there's three of us in the company, myself, Chris Namba, and then my husband. And pretty much like everything is pretty communal when we work on stuff, which is really cool. Like initially, I would say we would do maybe a little bit more of our own stuff, but we would kind of break it off. And like, you know, I would paint my own bike and Chris would paint his own bike and Pete would paint his own bike. And now we do a lot of stuff together. Like we'll get artwork from our artists and then we'll sit down and we'll design the kits together. Or one person will have an idea and we'll bring it to the table and we'll all sit around the computer and like kind of mess with stuff. And so, yeah, it's pretty communal at this point, which is cool. And you guys are building frames and doing that stuff in Sacramento? Yep. So the right now we have two different bike models. We started out with just a cyclocross bike. And so taking a step back, when we started again, it kind of stemmed out of my racing. So it was logical that we were going to make cyclocross bikes. And they're the best anyway. <laughs> <laughs> As soon as we actually were like, all right, we're actually going to do this. It was like, all right, how are we actually going to do this? Where are we actually going to get this product from? Because I can't make a bike. And if I could, it would be super shitty. So, (laughs) you know, you're, you're thinking about it. You're like, all right, well, what are our options, right? And you can just go on the computer and Alibaba or eBay or whatever and get, you know, blank frames. And we looked into that as an option. And when we really sat down and we're like, all right, So then our product is really just going to be based on the fact that our bike looks different than other people's. And we didn't want it to just be about that. Like if we're really going to do this and we wanted to kind of design our dream bikes and also not having any real way to know what the quality was like when you're just buying a couple frames off of an open mold. There's no accountability for a tiny little company like us, at least not starting out. And this was all kind of self-funded when we started too. So it's been small. 
And I just see you now too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, still here. Okay. <laughs> so we're like, all right, well, if we're going to do this, let's do our dream bikes. And that came down to wanting them made in the United States and uh, ideally locally. And we got really lucky that there's an amazing frame builder right here in Sacramento, Sherwood Gibson, who's been welding under his own brand, which is Ventana Mountain Bikes um, since 1988. So arguably one of the best aluminum welders in the United States. And again, when we were looking at how are we going to make our product different from other people's products, once they're made in the States, right, they tend to be, the bikes tend to be custom and they tend to be made out of steel. Uh, and they tend to be more expensive because they're custom. So we kind of wanted to, we thought there was a little bit of a niche in the market for a U.S. made product that the price was a little bit less expensive because they were stock sizes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As well as being aluminum and not steel. Steel's a little easier to work with. Aluminum's a little bit more difficult just because of the manufacturing process. And we, it was important for us that our friends were going to be able to buy our bikes. We didn't want them to be, you know, the price to be too high. So we got really lucky and were able to partner with Sherwood. It took a little bit of cursing in the yeah. beginning to be like, no, no, we're serious. I swear. Like we really, you know, you, it's a, a significant amount of effort for him to really do all the engineering and tooling and all that kind of stuff to get it up and running. So um, had to call in a couple of favors with some local people to, to kind of have our backs with that. And that's kind of how that went. So we started working with him in 2014. And it's really cool that our bikes are made, I mean, right up the street. So we can ride up and and, uh, go have meetings with him. And he's in a factory where he's making a good amount of bikes. So there's not really a cap on on growth, which is also really cool. Yeah. And with your website, so if somebody goes to Squid Bikes, there's the blank canvas. Like you pick your bike and then you can pick, you can even paint it yourself too. Yeah. So we started with cyclocross bikes and then last year, I guess last year, early this year, early this year, we released our second model, which is a 26 inch cruiser BMX bike, which we're pretty stoked on. So anyway, we get them, you're right. We get them from the factory raw and it's just bare aluminum. And when we started our, our idea basically is that we wanted the aesthetic of the bikes to be different. We wanted them to not, when we first started, we're like, all right, kind of did this broad overview of what bikes look like and we're like all right they're red black blue all the logos are on the down too but there's logos all over them and maybe there's a couple stripes so we wanted them to be very different than that and we want them to look kind of more like surfboards and skateboards rather than traditional bikes was where we started Um, and it certainly evolved since then over the past couple years and in doing so And because we had spray painted bikes a good amount, that was a natural fit for us. And one of our business partners at the time was like, well, fuck it. Like, just let people do it themselves. And and we were like, yeah, sure. Why not? Right. So we had initially we had options of different color powder coats with different like graphics packages that we had an artist design up for us. And then we also had this DIY FS is what we call it. The do it your fucking self model. (laughs) Which is, which is just raw. And yes, so at this point, we actually ended up, uh, that's kind of what the brand I think got a little bit more notoriety for was the fact that we came into the industry. And we're like, nah, we're just spray painting bikes. And it was actually funny, because I don't know if it was on Twitter or what it was. This was like, I don't know, maybe a year after we started. And 
someone from one of the bigger bike companies said something about spray painting and someone else jumped in and they're like, oh no, there's actually a company doing that. Like, and he's, they're like, oh wait, really? Like, seriously? So we're kind of just this little scrappy company that's like, nah, just, just do it with spray paint. And everyone's like, yeah, it doesn't last as long. And you're like, yeah, no, it doesn't. <laughs> like, <laughs> of course it's spray paint, you know, like, but it's a metal bike. Like the thing is, it's really strong and like, it can take a beating in our minds. Like, bikes they're meant to be ridden they're not meant to hang on walls and they should have some scratches and some scuff marks on them it shows that you're riding them it's like a patina so we kind of just I think by doing that put that out there and showed people that it you can do whatever you want with it and that's what's really taken off and to answer your initial question yes we are having people come in and and spray paint we don't when they do that you know they're they're usually local so it's usually someone that we have some connection to not always but we don't want to hold their hands to so much either we have a little bit of a how-to guide online where it's like you know it's not rocket science like clean it with some rubbing alcohol (laughs) it's a metal bike and you know mask off the places that you're going to put apart so mask off the bottom bracket and any of the threading and that kind of stuff and then just take some paint to it. And we just recently, as of like a couple weeks ago, launched a program where we will paint your bike now. So that was something that like everyone was always like, will you paint my bike? I want you to paint my bike. Will you paint my bike? And we were all just, no, 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 no. I'm not going to paint your bike. Do it yourself. I'm not going to paint your bike. Do it yourself. Which is cool because we didn't want to be a custom bike company. I don't want someone to come to me and be like, will you put a heart here and this (laughs) thing here and this thing here? Like, I don't want to be in that position and we didn't know how to kind of get around that and we were selling some bikes that we had painted just because you know we have a bike and we have a weekend so and then and an idea right so we're gonna do it and see what happens so we had some of those and we're moving some of those but we've gotten to the point now where we have a couple methods that we feel we can accomplish pretty quickly and aren't gonna go totally haywire on us because that's always one of the things too or it's you know the it's not broken until you can't fix it type of thing (laughs) but ideally you can lose a lot of time doing that too so we have a couple methods now that we feel pretty solid about and so we're offering basically those methods with a kind of choose what colors you want so it's kind of like a little bit of a semi-custom type of thing with the caveat that like it's spray paint so we're telling you right now it's not going to be perfect like that's the point if you don't want that like don't buy one of our paint jobs <laughs> and you have orange creamsicles on your bike i do it's my favorite one yeah, so, <laughs> like for me the hardest part about having that blank canvas is i i would just get overwhelmed like what am i gonna put there's so many things i like and the whole idea of a blank canvas for some people they see like excitement and like creativity and for me it's like what am i supposed <laughs> to do oh my gosh so yeah, yeah how did yeah. you how did you come to the orange creamsicle I totally feel you on that. And again, that was a lot of the feedback that we had gotten too. is people were just kind of overwhelmed with it. They're like, I'm not creative or whatever. And you know, our response is like, you don't have to be that creative, just do like a two color fade or just, you know, just do something. But it, it, you do have to have a little bit of that, like, ambitious and like, I don't really care what this looks like and motivation, I guess, to do it. And yeah, so that was one of the things also, too, that led us to being like, all right, fine, we'll do it for you. Like, but we're, you don't get to do exactly what you want. Like, we're still going to have some input to it. So getting back to the creamsicles, the idea for the creamsicles actually came to me in a dream. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's really funny. I wrote that on the on one of the tubes, too. So, you know, you 
we'd painted a bunch of bikes at this point and it was like, all right, well, what are we going to paint next? And we were doing more with, uh, stencils or it's really masking, but, um, having essentially vinyl cut and using that as the masking. Hmm. And I literally woke up one morning and I literally was like, all right, my bike's next bike is going to have creamsicles and clouds on it. And I don't even really like creamsicles. <laughs> um, I'm like totally a chocolate girl, but for some reason it, it literally was in a dream. And I was like, that's how I'm painting my next bike. So one of our, uh, co- owner's wife's and I kind of sat down and brainstormed and she drew up the art for it. And we had this idea of also kind of showing people that it's not that hard to do. And at one of the local gravel events that we'd been going to called the Lost and Found, which is put on by the Sierra Buttes Trail Stewardship, who are just awesome group up here in NorCal. They wanted us at kind of their little expo on the Friday night before the event. And it's out at Lake Davis. It's like, you know, out in the mountains. It's really cool and totally low key. And we were like, hey, do you guys care if we paint a bike? (laughs) And they're like, no, that's awesome. So we actually ended up, we call it a race day rattle can. So we went out there at like five o'clock, like while people were coming and picking up their packets and stuff. And we just set up a easy up tent, like with literally on the dirt and just went out there and did the whole thing that night. So again, just to kind of show people like, Hey, we came here today at five o'clock with a raw frame. And then the next day I raced it a hundred miles in the gravel. So that's that, awesome. it, it took a little bit longer than we had expected. Actually, it was kind of a late night. Like standing <laughs> up, spray painting. You have to ride your bike a hundred, race your bike a hundred miles the next day. <laughs> <Totally. Like us. laughs> but yeah, so we, we did the whole thing like right in front of everyone. And so they could see the process and like ask questions and see it completed the next day. So that bike is, is, uh, I've gotten less attached to the different paint jobs and bikes just because we do a lot of them now. And that's one of the only ones where I'm like, nah, that one's mine. (laughs) Like that's my bike. (laughs) So yeah, that's kind of how that one came to being. And I think that was one of the first ones that kind of fit that mold of, uh, maybe not one of the first ones. It was one of the earlier ones we did with like a more detailed masking work. Mm-hmm. like of objects i guess rather yeah. than just kind of more organic stuff and like the name squid where did that yeah. name come from is that, is that your spirit animal <laughs> no that's actually we have like a couple different versions of that story in terms of the length of the description so when we decided to start the company we were like all right we knew what we didn't want it to be right we didn't want it to be this serious black white blue logo on the down tube not to name other companies, but we didn't want it to be like specialized and focused and like these very like serious, like, uh, names for, yeah, names for companies and stuff. We wanted it to be more fun and playful. And, you know, we're on the West coast and I'm from San Diego. And again, the idea of this kind of like skateboard surfer vibe. Yeah. And we liked animal, like we liked animal names too, just because there's kind of a lot you could do with that. So we kind of had this set of parameters and my husband's a, he trained in engineering. So he like thinks very logically. So we had these parameters we were working with. (laughs) Nothing, nothing. (laughs) Basically just did a lot of brainstorming within those parameters and had a whole list and kind of went down the row and just were playing with some stuff. And then we actually went into the Rift store and there was a jellyfish on a shirt. And we're like, jelly, jelly bikes. And we're like, ah, I don't know, like, doesn't really fit. We also wanted something that didn't 
kind of like Apple computers where you're like, it just makes you stop a little bit and think because it doesn't necessarily fit with what the product itself is. So anyway, so we were like jelly bikes and then we're like octopus, that doesn't sound good. And then we're like squid, kind of wrote it down and sat with a little bit and we're like, I don't know, it just kind of like there was nothing better that came along and just kind of like we're playing with that for a while and it just stuck. So, and I think we've all been really happy with it since then. So, and there's a lot of people that are like, wait, squid, squid bikes. And you're like, yep. And then I think they don't forget because it's so weird and different. So I think it's, it ended up being a really good fit for the company. Yeah. Like the name, picking the name of something is the hardest thing ever. (laughs) So hard. It, It definitely was like, it took us probably months to kind of come to that. And again, I'm really happy with where we ended up settling. So yeah. Yeah. I think a really interesting thing to bring out is that you are a professional racer. You race at a very high level, but you also own your own business and you carved your own path. And Brian, you've done the same thing. Like you've carved your own path with your YouTube channel. You travel the world riding and documenting the best trails. And the really cool thing about the bike is that it opens our mind and it opens doors to us that maybe we wouldn't have done before if we hadn't have ridden a bike. And it's, it's really neat that the way that the world is now, anybody can just say, I'm going to go in this direction and see what yeah. happens. But totally. it, it takes courage to make, to make that first and second and, and 90th step to go in that direction. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, so I want each, I want to ask each one of you guys, actually, like if somebody like someone listening to this, I'm sure is thinking, gosh, like I've been working this job. I love mountain biking or or cyclocross or or whatever. It doesn't have to be racing, but I want to do that. Like I want to do like what Brian's doing, or I want to do what Emily's doing or like, how do they get started? And how would you say that they should get over the number one, I'm not good enough. And number two, like, what if this doesn't work out? So Emily, why don't you start? I think that the first and foremost is the thing that you're making people have to like. Like that is really what the magic is, right? Like eh, there's a lot of people making mountain bike videos on YouTube now, and there's only a certain amount of people that are finding success because it's like, oh, okay, I, I like this person because I, it's actually interesting. And there's some kind of magic in what you're making. It just with like with Emily, with Emily's stuff and the bikes and the, the kits, there's some kind of magic in what she's making. Like anybody could be like, okay, I'm going to make a kit. I'm going to make a bike. And then it's like, wah, wah. <laughs> like so <laughs> It really is like combining something that you love, but finding, oh, wait, people get fired up about this because that's the only way you can make an impact is if it makes an impact on people. But yeah, the fear, the fear is always there. The fear is always there of like getting started. And that's one great thing about this world, though, right? Like stop playing video games. Stop watching so much TV. Stop going to the movies. Like start working on your little side hustle after work and on weekends and play with it and make it happen and then kind of put it out there to people and like with Twitter and Instagram hashtags or make a friend or email me like you can get stuff out in the world and kind of be like, eh, has anybody like this? Uh? And people are like, whoa, just like Emily's story about turning heads at the cyclocross race, right? Like bike. she saw that it was that it was capturing people's imaginations. And that's my spiel on it. Yeah, yeah. I, and we're in an amazing spot right now with, with social media and the connectedness of everything to be able to really like put something out there and see what happens. And I think without that stuff, Squid would have had a lot. It would have been more difficult to put our ideas and our, our visuals and stuff out there. You know, I think for me, it was, there's certainly been parts where I'm like, well, this is stupid. Like, what yeah. am I doing? This is like, you know, I'm working so hard and, you know, 
it doesn't matter. Like, you know, it's not going to work anyway. And I feel like, you know, you go through that or again, going to the start line, like that first year against a bunch of really good racers. And I knew I would, I knew I was good too, but it's like, you're just out there and you're vulnerable, just kind of having the self-confidence to just be like, accept failure and not really care what other people think if it's genuine to like who you are and what you're about and what you love. And, you know, again, I've still had those thoughts and my husband's awesome. He's like, he's very level-headed and he's really good at like giving me pep talks when I need them and stuff. And I think, you know, at this point, there's less of that because I feel like no matter what, like, even if for some reason, you know, when we started the company, it wasn't like we're doing this to have a viable bike company. Like it really wasn't, it wasn't like our goal was to make money off of it or for it to have a, a shelf life of 20 years or whatever it was. It was just to kind of go out there and put our ideas into the world and see what happens. And if nothing happens, great. At the very least, we would have put our ideas into the universe. Exactly. And, um, you know, it turns out it has connected with people and it's even in right now, which we're at year four, like it's way bigger than I think any of us would have expected. And now I'm not as afraid of failure, I guess, because I feel like no matter what we've had success in terms of the fact that I know that we have had an impact on the industry. And I don't know that I would have gone, I wouldn't have entered this saying that that wasn't necessarily a goal, but I feel like I can take that away from that now. And that's like very settling. And, you know, I'm sure we'll have other major hurdles to cross at other points in time, but at least right now it's like, I can look around and being like, that is because of us. Like, I know that like we're doing things our own way and it's connecting with people. And one of the big things with the rattle cans and part of the reason we were really hesitant to like paint other people's bikes initially too, is that when you sell someone a rattle can and again, it's kind of a special person that is willing to take that on and you get this raw bike and you get to clean it and you get to see all the, you know, the grime and stuff that comes off of it from the factory. And you have to figure out where to mask it, even if you're kind of following our little how-to guide and you become like intimately familiar with your bike. Like you look at all the welds, like you, you know, that bike, and then you have this idea of what you want it to look like. And you have to figure out one, how to accomplish that, which, you know, may be easy, but it also could be quite difficult. And then you have to actually pick your colors, which again, it doesn't sound like a big deal, but like you were saying, like you need to actually sit there and make these decisions. And then, yeah. And then you actually have to, you know, little things like figure out how to hang it up in the garage. And then then the first time you really like put the paint on the bike, it's like kind of exciting. And like, and when you're done, you have this, this creation that's like yours and it's not going to be perfect and you're going to have flaws in it. And you're probably going to have gotten pissed off at some point during the process because (laughs) you're not a professional painter and you've never done this. And when you're finished, like you have like your bike, that's like yours, like no one else has done that, but you, and it's like almost a badge of honor that you kind of went through that and did it. And that was a, I don't know that there's, I feel like there's not a lot of opportunities that people get to be creative like that now as much. And it was good for me to feel like I gave people that experience or empowered them to be able to kind of take that on. So that's something that's been sustaining as well. Yeah, it's really cool when you put it that way, because it's so much more than just buying a bike. It's like you're buying an experience and an experience that you probably have never had and that you'll probably never forget. And that you can really take those things that you've done and it makes you maybe more brave in other areas of your life to be more creative and to be willing to color outside the lines or mess up or whatever. And that's that's a really cool thing about what you're doing. Yeah. And like, even just like, you know, you rolled a stop sign with your bike and like people look at it and turns heads and people are like, Oh, what is that? Or, you know what I mean? Like, 
that bike's cool or that bike's ugly or whatever. And it doesn't matter because now you're talking to the guy next to you at the stop sign or whatever. And it's, you know, it's just different than rolling up on the same bike that somebody else has because you got it, you know, a little bit cheaper online or whatever it is. And on top of that, our bikes rip too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're really sweet bikes. (laughs) Yeah. And and to wrap it up, I have a few more questions for you, but you know, as a professional racer who has a business, do you find that because you have the business, you're racing better because you're not so focused on racing all the time? Like if you're a professional roadie, you're you're riding 30 hours a week, there's not really much else going on in life and there's not a lot of balance. But when you have a business and you're trying to do all these other things, it kind of changes how you view your training. Totally. And it's been a balancing act and it's been something that kind of the longer the company has gone on, I've, I would say I've trained hours wise for sure less and less, but also my, my goals have kind of changed with that as well. I'm not necessarily going out there and like my goal is to go out there and race hard every time and to race as good as I can, but it's not necessarily as uh, results focused, I guess. Like if I go out there and I, I do my job and I race really hard and I get to like show off my bike and talk to rad people, like that's cool. That was a successful weekend for me. And I've also found that, you know, earlier on, it was like, I would get more stressed out if I wasn't getting my training in or the hours. in. like, I was kind of more used to with road and, and I still love riding my bike. Like, you know, the most perfect day is basically getting out and riding my mountain bike all day, um, in the sunshine. But more and more, it was like, not that I didn't want to be doing that, but I was really excited about also hanging out and and painting bikes and, you know, working on other things that were really exciting and motivating for me. So it's been a little bit of a balancing act. And sometimes I still get, I don't know, a little, I feel like I'm not putting as much into the training as I should be to be racing at the elite level. But at the same time, I've also still had continued to have good results. So maybe they're not as good as they could have been, but everything's balancing. And, you know, I'm lucky that we're working with other really great athletes, um, right now that takes a little bit of pressure off of me, I feel like in terms of the results. And I really enjoy being able to support them, not only as a teammate, but also as like their title sponsor and stuff too. So kind of getting stuff back from other areas and the balance is coming from other places. But yeah, also when you have less time, you're kind of more efficient too. Yep. Yep. So not so many coffee rides anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Brian, do you have anything else that you want to ask Emily? No, I think we covered it all. I'm I'm really glad that I got to actually meet you and get to talk to you. All I've seen is the great artwork and the great bikes and the, the muddy face and all that, you know, (laughs) well, thank you. It's great to get to know you. Yeah. And where can people find you online so they can check out all your cool art and all your racing adventures? So squidbikes.com is our website and we have uh, some good stuff up there. We have a rattle can gallery with a bunch of bikes that customers have painted. And then Instagram, E.E. Uh, Kachorik. I probably should change that because it's difficult, but I'm never going to. We'll put in the show notes <laughs> so, too. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, that's probably the best place. And then squidbikes Instagram as well. Awesome. And Brian, where, where can people find you? BKXC, Google it. There it is. You'll find it. <laughs> awesome, guys. Well, it's so fun. It was really fun to have Brian co-hosting and to get to talk to you, Emily. And our industry is so neat. And there's so many different stories and so many inspiring stories. And just having the energy of both of you guys, just it makes me feel excited about everything else that I'm doing and, and maybe ways to get more creative. So I'm sure that our audience listening is feeling the same way. I feel like I need to interview both of you guys now. I have questions for you guys. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, thank you very much. It was fun. Awesome. Yeah, and we'll, we'll uh, hopefully see you at a cyclocross race or on the mountain bike. 
Yep, indeed. All right, bye. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Cool. Make sure that you give Emily and Squid Bikes a follow online for more fun graphics and orange creamsicles. All of that will be in the show notes. Also check out Brian's YouTube and Instagram. Brian is one of the most prolific mountain bike YouTubers out there and he's showing you riding the best trails around the world. And he's also very active on Instagram. It's really cool getting to hang out and chat with such fun people. And it's also been really fun seeing your posts on the Plant Powered Tribe Facebook group. So if you guys don't know what that is, it is a free Facebook group that is welcome. The door is open for anybody. You don't have to eat a plant-based diet, but it's a place where we just post interesting articles or recipes or just talk about what we're eating and just promote healthy living and healthy lifestyle and having a support group around you and surrounding yourself with people who have the same goals and people who can support you is really helpful and really effective, especially over the holidays when there's tons of awesome looking booze and chocolates and candies and cookies and I just want to eat them all. So seeing that other people are on track helps keep me on track as well. Thanks so much for all the messages you guys have been sending me about the podcast. It's so nice to get feedback. It's so nice to get such nice messages. And I'm really happy that the podcast is bringing value to people in a lot of different ways. And it's really neat to see people going back and listening to old episodes of the show because that means that you guys are really liking the diversity of guests. And I, I just really appreciate that. And if there's somebody that you guys are dying to hear or a subject matter that you want to hear more about, send me an email. I'm really open to ideas. And I'd also really appreciate it if you could leave a review for me on iTunes. And if you need help, it can be that that environment can be a little bit challenging to navigate. So I'm more than happy to help. There's nothing to be embarrassed about if you don't know how to do it. But it helps more people find the show. And if it brings you value, it's going to bring other people value as well. So I'm just really trying to expand the reach of the show. I am embracing winter here in Canada, and I'm also really enjoying my time at home. I really needed some downtime, but I signed up for a cross-country ski camp this weekend. So I'm heading up to Silver Star, which is a really awesome ski area, to learn cross-country ski properly. And I'm combining that with riding the trainer and even riding outside. I thought that I was stuck inside for the rest of winter because we got a lot of snow in the beginning of November, but the snow has melted, the hero dirt is here. So I'm trying to combine everything. You know, the trainer isn't all that bad. I actually hated the trainer before I got a Wahoo Fitness Kicker because it just feels really natural and really normal. And also the structure of trainer road. So whenever I'm on the trainer, I know that I'm actually gonna be faster and it's proven itself year after year in my winter races. But it's also a great opportunity for me to catch up on Netflix on those days where I don't wanna ride hard. And I never have time to sit down and watch a TV show or watch a movie. So it's really nice to have that time to just binge watch some of these episodes and it's it's freaking crazy netflix wants you to binge watch so tell me what you guys are watching too so thanks so much for listening to the show guys hopefully everything is going well for you and wishing you all the best success in your training and adventures we'll see you on social media and in the meantime we'll see you here next week <laughs> <laughs>